0: Welcome to PwC IFRS Talk, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. Today we're going to be continuing with our green mini-series, and we'll be looking at how climate-related risks need to be reflected in expected credit loss calculations for the impairment of financial assets for IFRS 9. And so with me today, I have two guests. Gethin Evans is a director in the UK firm's banking and capital markets audit practice. And with Gethin, I've also got Kevin McLeod, who's a senior manager in our Canadian financial services practice with a focus on banking and capital markets, providing assurance and advisory services in credit risk management and regulatory compliance. So welcome, Gethin and Kevin.
1: Thanks, Andrea. I'm very happy to be here today with Kevin to talk about this uh, very important topic. And actually, climate change is, is very much in my mind at the minute because the wind was so strong where I live. That all the roads leading out of my village were blocked with
2: fallen trees so it feels very timely to be here. Great thank you Andrea. and it's great to be here uh, today with with you and Gessen uh, to be talking about this very important topic that uh, is certainly becoming more and more relevant uh, with each passing day so it couldn't be more
0: timely. Cool. So there's been lots of discussion about the impact of climate-related risks on financial statements, and there's an ever-increasing focus on climate change by a range of stakeholders, including financial regulators, audit regulators and, importantly, investors. So let's step back. Although climate change is not actually mentioned explicitly in IFRS standards, the effect of climate change and financial statements still needs to be considered. And there's one specific area that we're going to be talking about today. And that's in the determining the potential impairment of financial assets. So what that means really is that climate related risks needs to be considered when you're measuring the expected credit losses or ECL. So Getan, if I could come to you first, um, can you tell us about where climate related risks can affect the accounting for the impairment of financial assets and specifically how it affects the expected credit losses, please?
1: Yeah, so as a starting point, I think it's important that we keep in mind that IFRS 9 requires the use of reasonable and supportable information, specifically past events, current conditions and forecasts of future economic conditions in the measurement of expected credit losses, which we often refer to as ECL. Although there's a high degree of uncertainty with regard regards to how climate change will unfold, obviously, and the uncertainty around how companies respond to it, there is an ever-increasing amount of data around the effects of climate change that would be considered reasonable and supportable information
2: in the context of iFresh Night. Yeah, and you know, Gethin, I, I think that's a really important point because just because there is a large degree of uncertainty with regards to how climate change will pan out and therefore inherent uncertainty about its potential impacts on the measurement of ECLs, does not mean that companies should or can ignore it.
1: Right. Rather, it means that we may need to exercise more extensive judgment to capture and measure the possible effects of climate change on ETL.
2: Yeah, exactly. And in and, and exercising that judgment, as you mentioned earlier, Gethin, there are expanding bodies of information and evidence out there of the impacts of climate change and climate risk that can inform those judgments. However, I think it's also important that we acknowledge that just because we can't simply ignore the effects of climate change on the measurement of ECL, that also does not automatically mean that the impact of climate change is material to the measurement of expected credit losses today. That is a very different question, but one that companies nonetheless will need to be able to answer.
1: Right. So, so in, in summary, the key points are you, you can't simply ignore climate change risk when you're thinking about ECL. There is reasonable and supportable information out there regarding the effects of climate risk that can be used to understand the impact on ECL but that said does not mean the impact of climate change risk on ECL are necessarily material today but companies need to do enough work to properly analyze and understand the potential impacts to support such a
0: conclusion. So it's not a free ride, There is reasonable and supportable information, um, but in looking to understand and evaluate the potential impacts of climate change risk on the measurement of key CLs. can can you tell us what, that sounds like a very judgmental area, Um, I'm going to come to you, Kevin, can you tell us a bit about what the key judgments are that are required in this area, and you know how, what some of the challenges are as well?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe just before we get into kind of some of the key judgments and challenges, I think it's important to kind of establish the starting point, which is essentially defining the scope of what we're looking to understand and evaluate in the context of climate risk and the measurement of ECL. And for me, that starting point is defining the time horizon to which you are exposed to the potential risks of climate change. In other words, the lifetime of your portfolio the lifetime of your portfolios will determine how far into the future you need to look and assess the potential impact of climate risk on ECL. Also, to be clear, lifetime is the full duration of the portfolio, not the quote-unquote stage duration. I often hear an argument that a high percentage of our portfolio sits in stage one and is carrying a 12-month expected credit loss, and therefore we don't think climate risk is a material risk to us in the next 12 months. Well, I can certainly appreciate that perspective. The challenge is that, generally speaking, significant increases in credit risk, and therefore stage, should be determined based on the change in credit risk over the lifetime of the instrument. And notwithstanding that a majority of the portfolio may sit in stage one today, we need to evaluate the risk posed by climate change over the entire life of the instrument, not just the next 12 months. So the point there is the starting point of wrapping our arms around the potential impacts of climate on the measurement of ECLs should start with understanding the lifetime of our portfolio so that we then have a defined time window on which we need to consider the risks of climate change. That is important because a portfolio with an average lifetime of two and a half years is going to be subject to very different risks than a portfolio with an average lifetime of 15 years, as an example. Exactly. As
1: usual, Kevin has hit the nail on the head, and maybe I'd add one more point. And that relates to refinance risk in the context of evaluating credit risk over the lifetime of an instrument. So if we take an example of an oil and gas borrower with a loan maturing in, say, two years, what is the risk that in two years from now, the loan will not be refinanced by the bank and can't be refinanced by another institution on commercially acceptable terms? This could be due to changes in regulation or the bank's own commitment to reducing lending to the sector, given that as we record this COP26 is ongoing, these are reasonable circumstances that could arise. And in such a scenario, the loan would go into default. Such a risk as one possible scenario would then need to be factored into the probability of default today.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Gavin. And I think of it as kind of like assessing the risk of musical chairs. We can't always assume we'll be the one to get a seat when the music stops. When the music stops, there's always going to be someone left out. And we can't simply assume it won't be us. And at least one possible scenario or outcome and refinance risk is really no different.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So the lifetime of the portfolio is clearly a a key judgment. But let's, let's get back to the other key judgments and challenges in thinking about climate risk and ECLs. So from what I understand, another piece of the puzzle is around identifying and mapping out the climate risks that your portfolio is exposed to. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, uh, Andrea. Climate risks can broadly be separated into kind of two broad risk components, which can be defined as one physical risk, which we generally define as the risk of financial loss resulting from increased severity and frequency of extreme climate change related events things such as heat waves floods storms wet wildfires and landslides but in addition to that we also look at other risks such as long longer term gradual shifts of climate such as changes in precipitation levels weather variability ocean acidification rising sea levels and surface temperatures and the associated indirect effects of, of loss such as loss of ecosystems such as water soil quality and marine ecology all of which could pan out in any number of different ways and the second broad risk category is transition risk and this one's a little bit more difficult to kind of wrap your arms around and and what transition risk really relates to is the risks that we face as we proceed and kind of progress towards uh and adjust to a to a low carbon or or carbon neutral economy and and what does that mean about uh our, our business operations today
1: And in addition, understanding the nature and composition of the portfolio will also be important. So just as not all borrowers are equal, the impact of climate risk that Kevin's described there will vary within all portfolios within their lifetime. And so the key thing is understanding the composition of the portfolio um, and and in order to, to, to then effectively identify the impact of those climate risks that have been
2: described.
0: Could you give me some examples of that, please?
2: Absolutely. So let's maybe look at a couple of illustrative examples uh, that deal with both physical risk and and transition risk. The first one, if if we look at kind of the risks of physical risk, let's look at an example of a portfolio of residential mortgages that that is concentrated in an area that is not subject to hurricane and flooding risk. Such a portfolio would not likely have physical risk as as a relevant risk identified to the estimation of ECL for that portfolio. However, if you were to contrast that portfolio in that example with a portfolio that actually does have a concentration of residential mortgages in a geographic location that is becoming increasingly susceptible to wildfire risk, in that case, you likely would have, uh, you would have physical risk as a relevant kind of climate risk to the estimation of, of your ECL for that portfolio. And secondly, if we look at, um, a, a, Of an example related to transition risk, let's think about a portfolio that has a concentration of of risk in the oil and gas sector. Um, And given the oil and gas sector's kind of role in carbon emissions, you may likely have transition risk as a relevant climate risk to the estimation of ECL for for that portfolio. Uh, Again, a large degree of uncertainty as we think about uh, how governments are going to respond from a regulatory perspective, how investors and stakeholders are going to respond how those borrowers in in that industry will will kind of evolve over the next couple of years is is a big risk and a lot of uncertainty associated with that. But I think what is for certain is there is some some risk around the transition to to a lower carbon economy. And so that needs to be considered. And when you contrast that against a, a portfolio as an example that has a concentration in renewable energy, such a portfolio that has a concentration in renewables likely probably doesn't have transition risk as a relevant climate risk. And In fact, that might be an upside risk from from a transition perspective. And so hopefully that gives you a little bit of context uh, and how to think about this stuff, which which should highlight that segmenting your portfolio and going through the exercise of of thoughtfully thinking through and identifying the risks that are relevant. And I think the key word there is relevant to your portfolio will help to focus on the risks that actually require consideration from a perspective related to the measurement of, of expected credit losses.
0: OK, thanks for that, Kevin. So, the, the cute holiday cottage in the coast of Dorset has physical risk. The developers building cute holiday cottages in Dorset have transition risks, then that's what you're saying.
1: So, so Andrea, just to extend your Dorset holiday cottage example uh, a little bit further, another factor that could be considered is if there was a change in regulation that meant properties needed a certain um, efficiency rating um otherwise you couldn't sublet them to either short term or long term renters would represent a transitional risk that would impact the borrower of the loan. Um I, I guess the, the point here is that actually if you're thinking about climate change in one dimension or in, in one dimension, you're really missing the bigger picture.
0: Okay, so we just need to think broader. Exactly. Okay, so we've got some good points in there about where you should anchor yourself and where to start thinking about this, um, but let's have a little look at the sort of practicalities. Um, could you talk a little bit about the data, what type of data, what types of information are actually available for companies to think about?
1: Yeah, so to just going back to that point around, you know, what what data is available, so some of the sources um, already out there include different economic forecasts that reflect various climate scenarios, such as those that are aligned to the Paris Accord, external ratings that reflect ESG risks that can be incorporated or proxied into your portfolio, information on borrowers released through the voluntary disclosures developed by the, and you have to bear with me, the Financial Stability Board Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD, if you want to get there a bit quicker, or similar disclosures that can be incorporated into the entity's assessment of borrower credit risk. On the point of data, we should not just write off historical information as irrelevant, as it may prove reasonable and supportable when attempting to quantify the impact of climate risk. For example, data on historical physical risk events like extreme weather, flooding, wildfires. While these events may be less common in historical data sets than we expect to see in the future, they can provide valuable insight into the, in, in terms of magnitude, and they could also be scaled to reflect increases that you might expect to see in terms of frequency or severity.
2: Yeah, I think you captured some great examples there, uh, Geffen, to demonstrate what, what information is available to help think through what is reasonable and supportable in the context of incorporating climate risk into your measurement of ECLs. I think the larger challenge is going to be how to incorporate all of these components that we've kind of talked about into a cohesive assessment and evaluation that can reflect the potential effects of climate change on, on the measurement of ECL. And I think the point, important point there is, is evaluating the impact may not be possible at an individual instrument level, and therefore we may need to look at this um, and look at the assessment on, on a collective basis.
0: Okay, thanks. So, um, some, some good guidance there about how to start thinking about how to approach climate risk and ECLs. So, that's, you know, what companies need to be thinking about from the company's viewpoint. But I think none of this happens in the vacuum and others are also getting interested in how companies think about that information versus information that's used elsewhere or is publicly disclosed. Um, Gethin, could you maybe give us a few thoughts on that?
1: Of course, of course. Um, it's, it's funny you bring that up, actually, because it's a topic that is increasingly important to regulators from around the globe in, in, in just recent, in very recent weeks. Um, for example, the um, the European Securities and Markets Authority, or ESMA, has started to analyse the consistency of disclosures in the financial statements and, and elsewhere, um, and elsewhere made by the entity. And there are other examples, too, of other regulators becoming more and more focused
0: on this. And out of that, the European Common Enforcement Priorities published by ESMA by the end of October um, highlights that consistency between information disclosed within the financial statements in the back half and the non-financial information about climate-related matters and risks, especially about significant judgments and estimations and certainty in the front half is a key enforcement priority, along with enhanced transparency about ECL measurement. And there are other examples, too, of regulators becoming more focused on this.
2: Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And in Canada, uh, OSFI, our our prudential regulator, has has signaled an increasing area of focus around the disclosure of of climate related risks. Um, and again, that's not in this context specific to ECL, but ECL will be a component of that. And I think that's all to say that that regulators are getting increasingly focused and are moving really quickly in this area. And and I don't think we want to fall behind climate risk has been and will continue to be a focus area of stress testing. And the results from a stress testing perspective will provide valuable insight and data on the effects of climate risk on the entity's portfolio that should also be considered when evaluating the potential impacts from an ECL perspective. And so I think the point there is is companies and, and entities are starting to try to wrap their hands around this from a stress testing perspective, whether that is from a internal overall management perspective or or regulatory driven and i think the point there is that that information that comes from those exercises can't just be left off to the side and and disposed of but but really should be brought in and and thoughtfully incorporated into an assessment uh, on on the measurement of ecls
0: okay thanks for that and so that's the regulators and the companies um but i think um i've heard a lot about how this is an area that investors are very interested in that that's right isn't it
2: Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of concern out there. Um, obviously, ESG and is getting a lot of uh, media attention and attention from investors, stakeholders and regulators. And there's a lot of concern out there, in part on investors, about greenwashing and, and the need to ensure that information used in companies' ECL calculations is consistent with information used elsewhere in the organization and is publicly disclosed. That, that's
1: absolutely right, Kevin. Additionally, consideration needs to be given to information that is publicly released by the company, either through the MD&A or other external reports, that should be considered from an ECL perspective. There really needs to be a targeted focus on ensuring consistency of disclosure from the entity in both the financial statements and other information that the entity discloses publicly elsewhere. For example, a net zero commitment which includes Stemming lending to certain industries should be considered in the assessment of credit risk for borrowers in those industries, and the effect on probability of default today. That is all to say, ESG commitments and strategy are moving and evolving really quickly, and it's forcing organisations to respond in an agile way. However, often these decisions and commitments are made outside the realm of financial reporting, which means that they aren't always at the forefront of consideration from an ECL perspective. And they really need to be.
0: Okay, so thanks. You can't do financial reporting in a vacuum. That's what I'm hearing. So um, I think we've covered quite a lot today. We've talked about the importance of climate-related risks in assessing impairment of financial assets, that there is reasonable and supportable evidence about climate-related risks available, and some of the key assumptions that need to be evaluated. And finally, there's a really important point there about the way that information about climate needs to be consistent across all of an entity's communications so that any relevant information from ESG strategy or commitments are considered from outside financial reporting, but are reflected in financial reporting in the ECL measurements and disclosures. So Gethin and Kevin, thank you both for being here with us today and for sharing your insights on this really important focus area. And also to all our listeners, uh, thank you for listening. As always, stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.